Satan will use all your emotions so he can be victorious. His name is the deceiver. The pastors don't think there's things going on in their congregation. I believe that the devil does exist. Be a disciple and make disciples. And you don't do that by being a pastor spectator. Confronting the devil with the overwhelming, almighty, omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His power is absolute. He cannot be stopped. Welcome to Confronting the Devil, Fearless Dialogue. Here's your host, Kevin Collier. Welcome to the program. Today's guest, Archbishop Ron File, founder of the Order of Exorcists. Before we begin, my wife Kristen will offer a prayer. This is from Meditations on Divine Mercy by Johann Gerhard. I pray not only for my private enemies, but also for the public enemies and persecutors of the church. Turn them to the way of truth, O highest truth. Avert their bloodthirsty efforts, O supreme power. May the brightness of heavenly truth strike their eyes shut, so the rabid furor for persecution is stilled in their souls. May they recognize that it will be in vain and dangerous to continue to kick against the goads. Acts 26.14 Why do they imitate the rage of wolves? They know that the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb, was shed for us. Why are they eager to pour out innocent blood? They know the blood of the Son of God was poured out on the altar of the cross. Convert them, O God, so they obtain the fruits of their conversion in this life and in the life to come. Amen. Thank you. Kristen, what did Martin Luther say about praying for our enemies? This is from What Luther Says page 1100. So far as the person is concerned, we should pray for everybody. Our prayer should be general and should embrace both friend and foe. We should pray that our enemies be converted and become our friends and, if not, that their doing and designing be bound to fail and have no success and that their persons perish rather than the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. Thus the saintly martyr Anastasia, a wealthy noble Roman matron, prayed against her husband, an idolatrous and terrible ravager of Christians, who had flung her into a horrible prison in which she had to stay and die. There she lay and wrote to the saintly Chrysogonus diligently to pray for her husband that, if possible, he be converted and believe, but if not, that he be unable to carry out his plans, and that he soon make an end of his ravaging. Thus she prayed him to death, for he went to war and did not return home. So we too pray for our angry enemies, not that God protect and strengthen them in their ways, as we pray for Christians, or that he help them, but that they be converted if they can be, or if they refuse, that God oppose them, stop them, and end the game to their harm and misfortune. For if one of these two things must happen, it is better that the world go to ruin than Christ, and that lies give way to the truth. For surely it is God's intention to have the truth endure, and to put lies to shame. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kristen. On file is the founder of the Order of Exorcists based in Ontario, California. He leads a group of experienced clergy and investigators that address and combat demonic forces around the globe. Archbishop File, welcome back to the program. God bless you and all the work that you do. Thank you. Archbishop File, what are some of the signs that you and your team are looking for in a demonic possession? The thing is, in regards to signs, it's not just one thing, it's not just two things. It's everything together. You know, we look for physical manifestations. We look for typical signs of super strain, the ability to predict the future, the ability to look into someone's past and reveal facts that they would have no knowledge of. 
the ability to do other things that would be of a physical nature, where their hair color would even change, their eyes colors would change or become solid. We have cases where the actual victim has levitated. The list goes on and on and on. In our process, when we do an assessment, we have a questionnaire that has three sections. We have the psychological changes, the spiritual changes, and the physical manifestations that are... I'm sorry, I'm being distracted here. I have other computers in the room here. Maybe some of those computers are possessed, huh? Yeah, I have a few computers in our room here, and so we have to communicate with the people all over. In any case, getting back to what I was saying, and when one of these signs do take place, we have to rule out they're not experiencing the symptom because it's related to their health or to some type of mental condition. We have to make sure that the symptom is not just the one, but all the others. They all have to be shown almost at the same time for us to make any type of evaluation, see whether or not it's genuine. If a person just has the ability to be clairvoyant, well, to us, that's not a real sign unless it accompanies other things like the complete transformation of their skin tone, their facial expressions can change, gurgling voice, two or three voices may be coming out of the mouth at one time, things in this nature that would fall into the quote-unquote supernatural realm. What we are looking for is evidence that shows that all the symptoms are present, not just the one or two. And then we have to explain the cause and effect of every symptom that we should discover. Very analytical form to do this. What are some of the most common gateways that invites a demon in? Many, many, many gateways in our modern time. The number one enemy, of course, I believe is curiosity. Wanting to be more than what a person feels they are. Perhaps they want to explore and get the knowledge in terms of Ouija boards and channeling and all the other new age things that you may open them up to demonic influences, which is a very known thing. People have access to the internet, so out of just sheer entertainment, Their mind is open for other things that may be new to them. Or maybe they feel uh, there's something that needs to be added to their life. Maybe a stronger ability in certain things that they feel they're lacking. And as a result, they feel that maybe, just maybe, they will read some of this propaganda that will tell them that if they experiment with spirituality things in regards to the demonic, then they may be able to gain some of these things. And so as a result... The number one gateway, I suppose, is having a brain (laughs) that is open to new things, and it depends on how that individual takes in information and what their motive is. Everything boils down to cause and effect. Well, absolutely true. As a result, we have all the modern technology that our young people, well, people of all ages really, are open to these things just by sheer curiosity and maybe some deeper desire to be more than what they feel they are. What do you say to folks who believe Satan is a thing of fiction, legend, and folklore? Everyone can be skeptic to a certain degree, but it's my inner belief system that everyone who walks the planet will be touched by the demonic in some way, in some form. We're all open to demonic influences, so no matter how hard you try to deny that it exists, no doubt They might even be living with the actual element, and they might be participating in something that they have no clue as to what's really taking place in their lives. It's kind of a tricky question, you know, because people are curious, and people want things. They want to develop themselves to the fullest, and as a result, unfortunately, they could be very misled into these areas. It's a very valid point. What are some of your personal experiences, or you have seen, confronting the demonic? seen it all in my 36, 37 years. Wrote some articles about just that, too. 
wrote an article, and it was entitled, An Exorcist Battle That Almost Led to His Death. This happened a few years ago. It was uh, after the evaluation that I've just earlier mentioned in regards to whether or not it's a genuine case. I found myself in this city, and the symptoms were very real, and as I was performing the actual ritual, I was physically attacked. felt three blows like an invisible two-by-four on my left side of my body. The room was filled with people. We had about nine or ten of our people were affiliated with us, and they witnessed the entire thing. As a result, after we left the premises, I almost immediately began having a shortness of breath. I went to my family physician, and he advised me to go immediately to the emergency room, which I did. Chest x-ray and a CAT scan and so on, they found out I had two sacks of blood wrapped around my heart. So they immediately admitted me into the hospital. This was in Upland, California. I was in the hospital for almost a month. I had three operations, and they removed the blood, the two-liter blood sack that was wrapped around my heart. They actually did three procedures while I was there for almost a month in intensive care. To this day, the physicians have no idea as to what led me into that condition. They have no medical reason as to why I should have succumbed to the condition that I had. So as a result, a big question mark in the medical community. And then when that occurs, of course, we have to go one step further and think outside the box. It's not just medical. It's spiritual origin. So in that case, it was up close and personal. I get close and personal all the time. <laughs> That's a common occurrence. <laughs> you know, in order to get truly involved in anything, you have to get your cans dirty a little bit <laughs> and get really close. <laughs> Archbishop File, where do most of the requests come from for your team of exorcists? We get requests from around the world. It's always been a known fact that these cases that come from third world countries yeah. seem to be more prevalent uh, in terms of demonic involvement. I like to think it's because of the lack of Christian beliefs in these various countries and the lack of Christian practices. They're still involved in pagan rituals. They're still sacrificing not only animals, but humans at times, children. There's all kinds of stories you hear, and I'm sure they're all true in regards to that type of practice. As a result, we get a lot of calls. Unfortunately, we get calls from areas where we are not in. I think we received one call, and it was from Russia. We don't have a team in Russia yet. So, you know, one of the most important things for our ministry is to get the word out that we are recruiting not only the laity that will do the first contact interview and perform the actual demonic investigation, which we train them, and to do a case assessment, but we also need clergy that are willing to get involved when they're called on to perform the ritual itself. So each of us, we have different jobs, but we all work together. Unfortunately, I need more clergy. I also need more laity who have experience as lead investigators, so we could train them in our form and process of demonic investigation and assessment. So that's why it's important that I get on these programs, and my members get on these programs as well. I have a Facebook account where members of my organization have done radio shows, have talked about some of our cases and things of this nature. I believe I have eight or nine separate Facebook pages or relating to our ministry. Look up Ron File on Facebook. You will uh, no doubt find me somewhere. Every other day I publish some information regarding certain things in regards to the demonic. We have eight or nine forums going on right now on Facebook. A lot of interesting cases. Let's face it, all the genuine cases are always interesting. All the ones that are not genuine, that are created by other means, say, whether it be physical or psychological, there's a lot more of those than actual genuine cases. 
figure for every hundred cases that we take, and we might be able to find one genuine. And when we do, we put all our attention on that one genuine. But it's like everything else. It's a numbers game. So we put it out there. We're advertised worldwide, and people contact us when they uh, have problems or issues with demonic. What are some of the things people may see that leads them to conclude that there is a demonic presence in their home? The question is so broad because it's not so much what they see or what they claim they see. It's what we could prove, okay? The inner belief systems are so different. As a result, there are other people that are involved that may think they see something. They may experience something based on their own inner belief systems and expectations. And as a result, they may actually see it and feel it and become real, a very real entity within their life. But in the same token, if it cannot be seen by others and if other people cannot share the same experience, then the odds are it's an individual experience. As to whether or not it's valid, the thing is, if we're talking about demonic infestation, that occurs when someone in the household opens the door to the demonic, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally. This could be done by channeling, maybe using a Ouija board, maybe using some means in that fashion to speak and to address the other side. And the demonic is always just waiting for someone to do that. As soon as they drop their guard, it gives them a license to come in and do what they are basically meant to do. As a result, that could be devastating. That's where we come in. Demonic infestations are common when you have young people or people who are just basically experimenting and then they leave themselves open where the demonic will just come in and take possession of that immediate area. Demonic infestation is not the same as demonic possession, though they are in a sense possessing the area or the house or the interior of the house. And certain things might happen, cold temperatures may take place in certain parts of the house, might be rapping on the doors, scratching on the walls. Things might be moving, levitating even. Things might be disappearing in one part of the house. There are lots of things that could occur. From breathing, you could hear someone heavily breathing, to a rushing wind blowing throughout the house where all the doors and windows are closed. They could experience this temperature change. There are so many things that could go on. The list can go on and on and on. And I have to tell you, every case is not identical. Every case is totally different. And it's all based on the occupants of the house, the people in the household. That's why we take a closer look at the people in the house. Then we examine the house itself. Then we look for the outward manifestations that might take place. We look for cause and effect. We find out exactly what the cause is. And as a result, we study the effect. And that's what we do. I spoke with a local pastor here recently about the use of Ouija boards and such, and he just blew it off, saying that it was a trivial thing. They're not trivial, they're gateways. That's right. Absolutely right. I'm not going to ask you what denomination he was, but I will tell you that this is very typical in this day and age in our religious communities. Because of mental illness and because the case has been displayed because of certain parts and certain things that mimic possession can be explained scientifically, then as a result, we have a lot of the clergy that are kind of sighing in that area. And, and of course, you know, I feel that the true definition of being skeptic is, is having an open mind. That's fine. We have two psychiatrists who are in our organization, and they think outside the box. They're trained physicians, but they also think outside the box and know that the supernatural can occur and is very real. And there's been documented cases by the scientific community, I might add, that 
Archbishop File, how much has Satan infiltrated the churches in modern times? The approach of Satan, I'm just speculating, mm-hmm. okay, because yeah. nobody really truly knows. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say that because Satan has the, all these new devices that man has created to put them in better touch in regards to information, I believe that the satanic or demonic forces are using our technology against us, and they are communicating their message through certain websites that we look up and search for. And as a result, the formulation of the intake information that we receive can be very much influenced by Satan himself. I spoke with Brian Gadow about this recently, how the devil has seized so much control over our communication devices. That's right. Absolutely. I agree. Kids are on the internet all the time, and there are many other portals. Archbishop File, what can good Christian parents do to confront these gateways? Pray a lot. They need to pray a lot. Okay, children are people who have their own emotions. They take in information based on their own perception, and they act on what they see. Parents really have no control over what a child sees, reviews. They could put a lock on their TV or on their Wi-Fi connection in regards to adult sites. But that doesn't prevent the child from being just simply human and wanting to develop in such a way by studying and increasing their knowledge of the world. There may be some people that may disagree with me on that, but I don't believe you could chain your child to uh, throw them in the closet and isolate it from the population. I don't think that would be a advisable thing to do. Very few people do. So since they have the ability to communicate and to learn, and we have this ability from day one when we're born in this world, we're taking in information, information that's out there that's dangerous. And that's the tool that Satan can use. Does the devil manipulate men or women more? Gender has nothing to do with it, really. Yeah, Satan doesn't attack women more than men or vice versa. Uh, There are even demonic spirits that are female and that will literally rape an individual as he sleeps. Gender has really nothing to do with it. What has to do with it is your inner belief system, your inner thought, your whole thought process, and how you perceive life and how you take that information in. Gender has no bearing whatsoever. That's my opinion. There's this pervasive fear out there concerning we are in end times. Don't we have to be fearless when confronting evil and the devil? Being afraid of something is a sign of true intelligence because you understand what your limitations are in facing the thing you fear the most. Acknowledging the point that there is a good versus evil is all part of the scenario. You have to understand evil is always around us. The influence is entirely around us. You have the Southern Baptist Church and you have the other charismatic that may do the fire and brimstone type of preaching. And in one real sense, I apply all of those individuals. I think they're wonderful churches. Their teaching abilities are very effective because they're teaching the reality of Satan, the reality of evil, the reality of darkness in the world. It's really a shame. There are so many parishes, churches, denominations that will tell you everything about the teachings of Christ, but they'll somehow overpass the demonic possession. They'll somehow overlook or emphasize how the real evil was and is in the world. How Satan himself sat next to Christ and for 40 days tried to influence him. And yet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is not fully protected from all of these various uh, human elements, then how can we truly defend ourselves? All we can do is ask for protection, try to keep our eye on the mark, 
relationship with God. That's the very best we can do. We're all going to be touched by some form of demonic influence in our lives, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. It's going to happen. It's written in our life code. The life code meaning that everything that we've been placed in this world for, through our experiences, we live through what we see, what we interpret, and how we perceive certain things. As a result, in that is a code. That code is filled with evil, the darkness, the things that Satan would use to harm us and take our attention away from God. And that can come in many forms, physical, possessions, money, greed, lust, the list goes on and on and on. And so this is all part of that code that we have to live through, if you will. Archbishop File, doesn't Satan take more notice of Christian leaders and target them because he sees them as the biggest threats? Oh, yes. In fact, many of the clergy, and I'm referring to the exorcist, the clergy who actually have a ministry of exorcism, they're the main targets. You know, you take down a general in an army unit, there's very few followers that will fill in his shoes, per se. Your strongest tactical position would be to take the generals down, cut the head off the snake, as they say. <laughs> Once that's done, yes, that would be a major gain for our enemy's sake. That's why this ministry of exorcism is a calling. It's not just something that one chooses. They have to have a truly, or what I refer to as a divine calling. If you have that, then your knowledge and your faith would excel based on your inner belief system. That would be a whole purpose for God choosing you to do just this. The pastor of a church has a very important role, but he's not a specialist. An exorcist or a person who's a minister who's been appointed to do just that, and that would be exorcisms, that person would concentrate all his efforts, all his God-given abilities to perform and perfect what he's doing. He becomes a specialist uh, his whole job is to combat the enemy and help anyone that has these demonic issues. The pastor is like a general practitioner. He watches over everything, teaches the congregation, the parishioners, lessons, and so on, and their role is extremely important. But what we do is a specialty. Do you think your average local pastor ignores preaching on Satan because they are afraid? No. And I don't think they do it intentionally. But they're trained as a pastor to cover the scriptures, teach lessons in the scriptures. However, it's easier to teach with candy than it is to teach with something which would not be favorable. It's easier to teach the lighter things in scripture than to teach the things that involve some type of personal commitment, not only for their own safety, but the safety of their family to openly absorb and fully gain the knowledge of the reality of Satan and evil and the darkness of the world. It's so much easier to walk down a flight of steps than it is to climb the steps. A flight of steps, you have to have some effort to do that. Going down, it's a very easy thing to do. Do you think Christians have become so passive because they don't want to make spiritual commitments and are not willing to sacrifice? That's true. And as a result, their pastors will pacify their inner needs, and will not teach the, the fullness of what God wants us to know, which is very sad. It still baffles me how pastors choose to sidestep speaking out against the devil. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, it talks about the road to heaven is very narrow, but the road to hell is very broad, because it's easier to do and follow the momentum of life. It's very difficult to be the ideal quote-unquote Christian, because it takes a little bit of work on your part, like submitting to God, submitting to the truth, holding your faith.
Christ. It's so easy for the average person just to take the broad road because there's no resistance. But when you take the path to God, it's more of an effort. You have to actually put yourself into it. And when you put Jesus first, it provides protection from the forces of evil. It does, based on the belief system. And as I said, we're all so different. All of us are so different. Even Christians have different levels of belief. Lots of ministers or priests will bring up passages in the scriptures where Jesus was on the boat and Peter was there. Jesus walked on water and asked Peter to do the same, and Peter started to do that. took the first couple of steps, he was actually above the water, and he looked down and realized what was actually happening, and he started sinking. A lot of pastors use that particular passage in scripture as a lesson that we need to keep our eyes on God, keep our eyes on the Lord, and keep our faith strong. And it's true. We have to not be sidetracked. Satan's main job is to distract you from the reality of God's love. His main job is to take your whole attention away from God and all the godly things and to basically pamper to your own inner lustful needs. And as a result, most people will fall in that category, unfortunately. And that's why we have to be strong and do what we're called to do. Archbishop File, is political correctness one of Satan's favorite tools? Satan will use anything and everything as tools. Yeah, if given the opportunity, of course he'll use that as a tool. He'll use your love for another person as a tool, perhaps maybe in lust, maybe in an unnatural way. Satan will use anything. Satan will use all your emotions so he could be victorious. So this is something that we all have to pay attention to and have a clear understanding. John 14, 6, where Jesus said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is absolutely right. We have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the doorway. He is the only way. Satan will manipulate anyone around us to disrupt our lives. True? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. You know, just when you think you have the world figured out, <laughs> that's when everything starts falling apart on you. <laughs> that's right. Well, Archbishop File, I thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much for the opportunity for sharing this with you. You too, sir. And if anyone has any problems with the demonic, they should contact us. And thanks again, Archbishop Ron File. Since our last episode of Confronting the Devil, we now have a Roku channel, so you might be listening to us on Roku. And if you're listening to our podcast on some of our other formats and have a Roku, you might look us up in the channel store and add us to your television. We also want to thank our listeners on Praiser. We appreciate you. And also, I'd encourage you to check out our website. We have a blog on there. I have some new columns. It's confrontingthedevil.blogspot.com. You'll be able to keep up on what we're doing, and we appreciate your input. You can email us at confrontingthedevil at mail.com. And now, we're at the end of the program. Time for Kristen to come in with a closing prayer. This is also from Johann Gerhard. O Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, in your word you have prescribed for us this rule of love. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5:44. I pray also to you, the most generous forgiver of sins, for my enemies and for those who persecute the church. Luke 6:35. Give me the grace of your Holy Spirit, so I not only forgive my enemies from my heart, but also heartily pray for their salvation. We call on you, the one Lord and God of heaven. It is by no means right that servants of the one Lord are not united. We are one mystical body under Christ the head. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and 5, verse 24. 
For members of one body to fight one another is disgraceful and dishonorable. For those whose faith is one and whose baptism is one, it is fitting that they be one in spirit and soul. Amen. Thank you. And coming up on our next program, Josh Peck, host of Into the Multiverse on Skywatch TV. Here's a preview. That's why they don't want us to know about it. And when I say the enemy and they, I'm throwing everything fallen, everything rebellious against God into that category. So that would be Satan, fallen angels, demons, all that stuff. If we're ignorant of the fact that we can actually stop these things, well, first, that these things exist, and not only that, but we can stop them. We have authority over them through Jesus Christ. If they can keep us ignorant of that, that lets them do more that they want to do, you know, wreak havoc and cause all these problems for everybody. Uh, I think that's the main reason why they want to obfuscate that from the church. And also, Robert Noddy, the founder of Searchlight Ministry, will return. Jesus says, always guard yourself. Well, you know, he's always warning us against, uh, against the devil and the evil one and the things that he can do. He's telling us to watch out, but the devil goes about like a roaring lion to see whom he may devour. I mean, Christ is gospel. He's saying, watch for the one that can kill you and send you to hell. And yet the church at large just ignores it, and that is a serious mistake. It's something that the devil relies on. And we'll talk some more. So thanks for listening, and remember, do not let fear paralyze your faith. This has been Confronting the Devil with your host, Kevin Collier. Visit online at confrontingthedevil.blogspot.com. Thank you.